You are listening to the sermon podcast of Redemption Chapel in Stowe, Ohio. For more resources and information, go to redemptionchapel.com. Well, as I mentioned earlier, I am so excited to be here for you Sunday, excited to be able to share the word with you, and excited that our students are able to serve you this morning. We, in fact, have over a 100 students and adult leaders serving in various areas this morning, and it is awesome to see. And I'm excited about this because I'm excited about what's going on in our youth ministry and how God is captivating the hearts of teenagers to love him and to serve his kingdom together. That's a beautiful, awesome thing. But let's get into the word for today. We've been going through Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. Now, last year, we went through 1 Corinthians, where we learned about how the Corinthian church was a dumpster fire. Things were not going well for them, were they? There was many arguments on how things should operate as a church. There were disagreements about who can lead. There was disorder in their services. There was rampant sin. And there was just bad theology going all around. So now, as we're in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing to them a second time, and this church has grown and they've matured. Many of the issues that are mentioned in the first letter are no longer the focus of the second. And so now Paul has a chance to focus on new matters in this second letter to the Corinthian church. And in this section we're going through today, we're talking again about false teachers. See, false apostles were making their rounds among the Corinthian church, pretending to be the uh, preachers of the gospel while they're actually spreading lies and lining their pockets all the while. They're uh, using the gospel and uh, speaking to the church for personal gain, and they're causing doubt over Paul's authority and the gospel that he taught. And Paul calls these people super apostles sarcastically, almost an insult of who they really are because of their their falseness, their fake gospel that they share. But these super apostles are bringing Paul's authority into question by mentioning a few different cultural norms from Corinthian culture. One of which is that these false apostles were willing to accept payment for teaching. Something that Paul was willing to, unwilling to do, but was normal in Corinthian culture. And the second piece is that they had impressive speaking uh, skills. They were great speakers, very polished, and had eloquent words to share. And both of these things are things that were normal and expected within Corinthian culture, but Paul was living differently from this. Now, Preachers who are leaning into cultural norms to win over the crowds and have personal gain. This is something that we all can relate with. This is something that we see in our world today going on. And so as Paul is dealing with this in the Corinthian church, he is forced to defend himself and defend his ministry in order to defend the truth of the gospel. And as Pastor Rick pointed out to us last week, the, the reality is that these fake teachers exist because there are fake learners that gobble it up. The issue of false teachers is not really that they exist. The issue is that we want to be confirmed and we want to be able to accept whatever we want to do, whether it's not true or even sinful. Our pride makes us willing to believe what we want to believe. 
Our issue is not that false teachers exist. Our issue is that there is a demand for them. And so as we continue in the next chunk of 2 Corinthians today, Paul shows us that the uh, humility is the solution to the problem of pride and these false teachers. So let's take a look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. Well, recently... I was talking to another staff member here at Redemption, and they were sharing with me that their very first car was a Chevy Impala muscle car from the 70s, something similar to this here. You know, souped-up engine and chromed-out trim, leather seats and a custom paint job. This thing sounded mean. Now, it was a really cool moment for me because... My first car was also a Chevy Impala. <laughs> 2003, rusted out body, faulty transmission, faded out paint, and a wicked coolant leak. This thing was wild. Now to me, it didn't matter that my car had issues. When I got my license, I was whipping this thing all over the place. And, you know, I had only just started driving, but in my mind, I was the greatest driver on the road. And my skill as a driver had earned me some privilege to do some reckless stuff. And you know how there are people always complaining on the talk of the town page, how there's people driving too fast down Charing Cross? I was the person they were complaining about. But, but then came my first winter as a driver, and I slid all over the place. It was pretty embarrassing. You know, on a multiple occasions, I had different things happen that I just wasn't good at driving in the snow. On one occasion, I did an entire 360 on the highway and somehow didn't hit anything. Another time, I had slid across the ice and hit a parked car. On multiple occasions, I slid and fell into ditches. And each of these instances were humiliating to me. I was so embarrassed about them. And obviously, my, my parents had some stuff that they had to talk through with me about my reckless driving. But I wanted nothing to do with that. I didn't want to talk about it. In fact, I even tried to avoid my friends finding out about it. And then there's all the tickets and fines, the losing my driver's license and the remedial driving school. Things were a mess, and I was trying to avoid all of it because it was humiliating. And I was embarrassed because I didn't want to admit that I wasn't the perfect driver. I didn't want to admit that I was in the wrong. I was avoiding a hit to my pride because I didn't want to look weak. And 
That's the thing about pride and humility. See, humility looks like weakness to the world, but is actually how we reflect the character of Jesus. And this idea of humility being reflecting of Jesus' character is exactly what Paul was exemplifying to the Corinthian church in our passage today. Paul is pointing them to Christ through his humble behavior. See, Paul was living off of some funds that a church from Macedonia had given to him. And that wasn't quite enough, and so he's making ends meet now by working as a manual laborer, which, again, another social taboo to the Corinthian culture. See, in their eyes, being a manual laborer is something that is degrading work. It's something that you didn't do unless you absolutely had to, and they looked down at people for being manual laborers. And in this way, his humility by not accepting funds from the Corinthian church was similar to the lack of Paul's eloquent speech that the Corinthians complained about in the sections that we've read previously. See, in their minds, the Corinthians are thinking to themselves, if if you're a traveling speaker, you should be a man of intellect and skill. So why in the world are you earning your living as a manual laborer, unless you're not as smart as you say you are. So Paul is intentionally humbling himself to these people. He's setting a humble example to them. But why is he doing that, right? Like Paul is not a humble man naturally. Just look at who he was before he started following Jesus. This is from Acts chapter 8, and we're reading about after Stephen, one of the early followers of Jesus, was executed. It says this, Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And there they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Saul is Paul's same person. We're talking about his his name changed after he started following Jesus. But Paul was this vicious religious zealot who was beating imprisoning, and even killing Christians who denied his beliefs as a Jewish Pharisee. And it was normal for other Pharisees to hate the Christians, to mock them and trying to impede their movement. But Paul took this to the next level. He was constantly trying to hinder them and stop them and hurt them. He was not a humble man. So why is he trying to humble himself so greatly now to the Corinthian church? Well, yes, like as he started following Jesus, as he was converted and came to know Christ, he was changed. He, his pride was softened. Jesus worked in his heart and transformed his mind to become a more humble man. But I think even more of that, Paul is going above and beyond in his humility in order to reach the proud hearts of the Corinthian church. So he's being humble, first of all, for their benefit. 
right? Like he, he's refusing to take a salary from them. He's refusing to take money for them, from them as he shares the gospel with them. And he does this as a blessing to them. He doesn't want to be seen as a traveling gospel salesman. He wants to be able to show them the love and the mercy and the free forgiveness of Jesus that is being offered to them. So he is living humbly by refusing to take money from them, despite that being culturally taboo. But Paul is also teaching them about who Jesus was through his example. He's exemplifying the humility of Christ. See, he is earning his living as a manual laborer, despite the poor reputation that that brought him. Again, humility looks like weakness to the world, but is actually how we reflect the character of Jesus. And so these people thought that Paul was weak because of his humility. But in this way, he is representing the humility of Christ to whoever will hear it. He's representing the humility of Christ who would never allow social norms to stop him from sharing the truth and ministering to souls and caring and loving people well. So through his humility, Paul is distinguishing the way of following God from the way of worldly greed and pride and selfish desires. Paul's humility contrasts and points out that these super apostles... Casting doubt on him and the gospel he shares are actually false apostles from Satan. He goes on to say this in verse 12. And what I am doing, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul is drawing this comparison between his humility and the pride and greed of these false apostles. See, these are false teachers who are teaching variations of the gospel, all the while they are earning money for themselves, lining their pockets with their greed through their lies. Their message was focused on self-benefit rather than loving God or caring for his church. Compare this to Paul, who refused to take any money at all from the Corinthians. He also didn't speak as a perfected performance, but focused on speaking the truth of the gospel to these people. He was willing to take a socially degrading job in order to humble himself and share the humble example of Jesus to these people. And through this, Paul is pointing out that both the Corinthians and the super apostles are exposing their hearts by their behavior. But the Corinthians are failing to recognize which one has godly fruit. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus shares about false teachers and he says this, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus is pointing out that these people, these false teachers, they look like they're coming from God. They look like they're good, but actually, inwardly, they are evil. They're coming from Satan to deceive and to draw people away. And so the way you discern who is truly from God and who is not is through their fruit, through their behavior, seeing the way that they live their lives. Do they look anything like Jesus? But the Corinthians are failing to recognize the deception and the greed and the evil and the pride of these false apostles. And Paul is saying to them, they're stealing from you. They're lying to you. They're leading you down a path that is doomed for hell. Just open your eyes. Look at them. Do they look anything like Jesus? Humility looks like weakness to the world, but is actually how we reflect the character of Jesus. I mean, just look at who Jesus was. Look at when he came to earth. He, he could have marched down and been an unstoppable conqueror or an incredibly powerful ruler, but instead he came as a child born in the feeding trough of an animal. Jesus could have eradicated every doubter, every mocker, and every self-righteous Pharisee, but instead he allowed the ridicule and the questioning. Jesus could have stopped his suffering and prevented his own death on the cross, but he submitted to the will of God the Father. Even as he hung there, he had compassion for the thieves hanging next to him and the soldiers who are carrying out his sentence. Jesus had every right to condemn every one of us to hell and never think twice about it. But instead, he offers you forgiveness. He offers you grace. He offers you mercy. He offers you love. He offers you a better way. Jesus led with humility in all that he did, and he showed us how backwards the way of the world is compared to the way of the kingdom of God. Humility looks like weakness to the world, but is actually how we reflect the character of Jesus. And when we reflect Jesus' humility, we are leaning in to the way of his kingdom. Proverbs chapter 3 tells us this. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. He mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and the oppressed. See, when we resist humility, when we live and lean into our pride, our pride puts us in danger of falling into the same trap that the Corinthian church did, forgetting the truth of the gospel and accepting a fake one just to avoid admitting that we aren't perfect. So where is it that you need to lean into the humility of Christ? 
Maybe you need to pursue humility in your job. At work, do you refuse to accept help from other people? Or are you constantly looking for affirmation from your supervisors? Do you show gratitude and compassion to your coworkers? Are you that toxic coworker that is constantly pessimistic and talking badly about everyone else? See, none of these things are reflecting a humble spirit of Jesus. Maybe you need to pursue humility in your lifestyle. Let me ask you a question. What does your house, what does your budget, what does your collection of things look like compared to your non-Christian neighbors? See, if we as followers of Jesus lean into materialism and consumerism just as everyone else, as much as everyone else in the world, what does that say about where we put our hope? What does that say about who we truly love the most? Maybe you need to pursue humility in your evangelism. There's a reason that the average American looks at Christians and thinks of them as judgmental and closed-minded. Whether we do this intentionally or it comes out in our body language and our tone, we have a tendency to look down on people who don't believe the things that we believe. And so as we share the gospel with people, we have to meet them where they're at, to love them and care for them, to be able to share truth and love with them. Our primary goal in evangelism is not winning arguments, but saving souls. It's to be able to care for people and faithfully be able to represent the truth and the love of Jesus to them. So we have to be humble in our approach to evangelism too. Maybe you need to pursue humility in your faith. You know, I don't think it's very common for people to outwardly say that they have it all figured out when it comes to following Jesus. But how often do you struggle to pick up your Bible on a regular basis? Or maybe you do, but you're more focused on the head knowledge than actually having a desire to know and be changed and become more like Jesus. See, it's all too common a story for Christians to think they have graduated Christianity and are really a Jesus follower emeritus. We have to pursue humility in our faith And lastly, we have to pursue humility all the time. See, we all know the person who is only humble when it makes them look good or it benefits them. But humility isn't about benefiting ourselves. It's about sacrificing what we want in order to reflect the character of Christ. It's about admitting that we aren't God. Humility is a posture where we are admitting that we're messed up and that we're allowing God to cleanse our hearts and transform our minds. Humility is opening yourself up to God writing a redemption story in your life. Humility looks like weakness to the world, but is actually how we reflect the character of Jesus. One final encouragement I have for you this morning is just that God is in control. God is in control. Paul closes this section by saying this, their end will correspond to their deeds. And he's talking about how God will not let evil go unpunished. 
That God will judge evil and he will have vengeance for it. And a lot of times as I think about humility myself, I can wrap my head around my own pride and how I need to learn to live more humbly. But I'm constantly worried about everyone else around me. Like the world is is filled with prideful people. So if I let my guard down, I'm going to get taken advantage of. They'll take what I deserve. If I live humbly and live like Jesus, no one will take care of me. And it's in this thought process that I am less exposing the pride of the world and more exposing my own. See, I am selfish and I want what is good for me. So if you are struggling with this same thing, let me encourage you again. God is in control. He loves you. He cares for you. And he won't let evil go unpunished. Your humility is not weakness. Your humility is a reflection of Jesus. Let me pray for God to humble our hearts. Father, we are so thankful that you are a God that gives us an example, and you're a God that doesn't leave us to just figure it out on our own. Lord, we are prideful people. And if we really look at our hearts with a critical lens, Lord, we are are so prideful. Everything we do is focused on trying to benefit ourselves. And we need you to humble our hearts. We need you to transform us, to be able to reshape how we think, to be okay with sacrificing what we want in order to care for people, to love you well. Lord, help us to be able to trust you, that you are in control, that you will take care of us and you won't let evil go unpunished. Lord, we need your help to be more humble. Fill us with your Holy Spirit to convict us of our pride and to help us to figure out what it looks to be more humble in our lives. We pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Redemption Chapel. Go to redemptionchapel.com for more resources and information.